Georgia trying to shake off Starks. Oh, what a move by in here, I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. Lead pass to Tim Hill, Russ Bankston, my man, how you doing? I'm doing good, I'm doing good, how are you? Doing good, man. Can't complain. Uh, welcome to the Retro Room, uh, a new platform I, I, I created where, you know, I take people back to talk about some throwback retro NBA conversations. And um, this is week six of me doing so and, you know, going through trying to figure out who to have on. You know, I can always talk about playoff moments and this and that, but, you know, I think I'll be remiss to mention people like Slam Magazine or, or, or other outside entities like uh, NBA Live or NBA Jam that really has made an impact on the basketball culture and for the NBA. And, you know, Slam has been around for 25 years, so I figured, hey, there's only two people I know from Slam, and that's, De- <laughs> <laughs> that's Dennis Page and my guy, Russ Bangston. So I haven't reached out to Dennis yet, but I reached out to you. You're more than welcome to, to come on the show and talk about some Slam magazine and what it meant to the culture, you know? Yeah, man. I mean, Dennis would be great, too, obviously. Um, it's funny, like, having watched things change in the past few years, like, Slam basically, especially back in the, in the, the mid-90s into the early 2000s, I mean... Slam was basically NBA Twitter before NBA Twitter was a thing. Right. Uh, before Twitter was a thing. You know, it's like it was always it was always centered around basketball. But, um, you know, we, we pulled in, I think, a lot of things out of the side, too. I mean, the, just that whole like lifestyle side of things that maybe didn't get a chance to shine in, in other publications or, mm. um, you know, pre-Internet world. Like there just wasn't a place for that stuff to come out. Um it's funny, I was just talking to uh, <clears throat> one of the photographers yesterday, uh, Clay Patrick McBride, who shot that Iverson Afro cover. Mm. Um, you know, and we were talking about that and just the sense that, you know, someone like Iverson wearing all his jewels on the cover. Like, how many kids growing up or how many how many players coming up through, like, high school or, or college, like, you know, look to that even? Um you know, not that that's all there is, obviously, to NBA success, but, you know, I feel like we showed that real side of things that that after outside the locker room lifestyle that um, maybe a lot of people weren't as familiar with. Yeah, you know, I, I, you know, Slam Magazine has been very impactful to, you know, to you, to me, to every NBA fan out there. And I want to go through the process of, you know, how you got there and weaving through some of the big time moments so i'll start you know right off the back man i want to know 
you know, what got you into sports writing where, like you mentioned, you, you kind of get the lifestyle uh, behind the scenes, you know, really go in depth with a player. So what really got you into sports writing in general? Well, it's funny. Like I, I did some sports stuff like for the high school paper and like the local paper and that sort of thing. And then kind of fell away from it. I actually, I took a sports writing class in college and literally took it for a week and dropped it because it was a morning class. And when I was started doing more things for the paper, for the school paper, um, that meant late nights the night before. And I kind of realized like, all right, I'm going to miss a lot of these classes if I don't drop it, which is kind of ironic given where everything went. Um, but slam, it's funny. Like I would occasionally like just go do things in the middle of the night. And one night I think I ended up at a grocery store like late at night and I found the first ever slam, the Larry Johnson cover on the newsstand. And you know, that was the first I'd heard of it. So I'm flipping through it and I'm like, man, like this is, this is the kind of stuff I really want to do. You know, at that point I was doing a lot of entertainment writing, like concert reviews and CD reviews and like, you know, basic stuff like that. Um, so, you know, found the masthead and just literally started bothering people. It was Tony <laughs> Giovino, who was the editor. Um, this guy, Dave was the managing editor. Like, so I just harassed them and mm-hmm. like was sending story ideas was, and, and like, this was by facts. I mean, this is like, you know, 1995, um, Basically, I mean, I think I had an email, but I don't know if I even ever used it at that point. So, like, I'm faxing them stuff. And I, I probably still have some of that stuff somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, also, like, I remember, like, because they did sneaker stuff. And the first, first, first Jordan retros were coming out in, like, 94 and 95. And, like, I was super into those. So, I mean, even then, like, I was angling this, like, man, if I write for, if I can write some sneaker stuff for Slam, maybe I can get Nike to send me these. Um, I ended up buying them at full price anyway, but you know, so I basically just stayed on them and eventually I got to write this piece. And the first piece I ever wrote for them was was something about Sean Bradley getting dunked on all the time. (laughs) And, uh, if I remember correctly, Tony, Tony would probably remember this too. Like I probably turned in like, I don't know, they probably wanted 500 words. I probably turned in like a thousand and I think it ran at like literally a hundred. Mm-hmm. Like I remember getting that issue. It was the one with Jordan on the cover, his first one for the comeback, like big head yelling on the bench. Um, and I remember flipping through hype cause I knew I was in there and like, this was my first like published national piece or whatever. And I probably went through the whole thing the first time being like, where is it? And looking more carefully, like it was literally down in a corner. Like it was super tiny. And it's like, the photo is Sean Bradley, like laying on his back after getting dunked on. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that was my, that was probably a good experience with getting edited because I probably made like 10 jokes about it. And Tony (laughs) probably kept like the best two, Mm -hmm. um, which was probably for the best. So, So, I mean, whatever, like, so that was sort of my introduction to it. mm -hmm. And I stayed on them enough and got enough things here and there that when, when Dave left, it was a small staff and they needed someone to come in as like the third, you know, sort of low man editor on the totem pole. But when there's only three people, it's fine. Um, and I got the call to do that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just by sort of staying persistent, 
right. um, I managed to, you know, be on their minds when they needed a third person, mm-hmm. um, which was kind of funny. Like, and I'll try and keep this part short. Like I was living in Delaware at the time and, uh, the, the entertainment magazine I was working for was a little sporadic on their paychecks. So every month it was kind of like, you know, I'm playing like, okay, which utility do I want to keep on this month? So, you know, at that point, pre-cell phone days, my phone was out Mm -hmm. and they had tried to call me, but they couldn't get me. Um, I ended up getting a FedEx from them being like, hey, like, we want you for this, but we can't get in touch with you. Like, you need to get back with us immediately. And this was like right around Christmas time when I was going to go back to Long Island. Um, So I think I went back to Long Island, did the edit test that they sent me, sent it back in went in and interviewed like pretty much right after that. And I was in the process of moving at that point from one place in Delaware to another. And all of a sudden, instead of that, I'm just packing everything up and moving into New York. Cause that's when I started with slam full time. So that would have been in like 96. Mm-hmm. So you get there 95, 90, you know, and then you start full time 96 slam starts in 1994 uh, the year after Jordan retires, were you kind of upset about getting there, um, you know, after Jordan retirement? And do you, do you ever wonder how Slam would be like if they were around in the first MJ3 Pete? It would have been interesting. I mean, I, I've definitely wondered what Slam would have been like if Jordan never came back. You know, I think that would have been interesting too. Um, you know, I think it would have been cool to be around for that 3 Pete era, obviously. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it would have been difficult for us to get credentialed, I feel like for a lot of that stuff, like, you know, it's funny, like looking now, like there's so many different outlets getting credentialed for things and so many like internet outlets. And I just remember like for slam, like it took us years to convince the Knicks to credential us for games. I mean, years. Um, cause we just weren't traditional media, you know? And like, I think if you weren't, with the daily news or the post or the times or like, you know, on some daily deadline, they didn't understand why you would want to be at games or want to be at practices or need to be at any of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so like that took a long time, but you know, I, I think like slams beginnings were actually perfect. Um, you know, it would have been nice to be around earlier, but by the time we got involved, there was more access that's when like the high school stuff was really, really starting to pop off. True. And the guys who were the stars at that high school level at that point, you know, they were the ones who were then going to come and be the face of the NBA for the next decade. So it's like we kind of slam kind of grew up with these guys as these guys grew up with slam, you know, like, Back in those early 94, 95 days, if you go back to punks or whatever, which was like our one page, like high school profile, I mean, it's all guys who ended up running the league. It, it ended up, it was Kobe, it was Garnett, it was Marbury, it was, you know, Jermaine O'Neal. Um, it was all these guys who went from there to the McDonald's All America game, you know, and then straight to the league. So it's like, we formed relationships with these guys mm-hmm. early. So by the time they did reach the NBA, like, yo, they were good. Like they knew who slam was. Maybe their team PR people didn't know, but the guys knew and it was all the right guys. You know, it's like we put Iverson on the cover when he was 
at Georgetown. We put Rafer Austin on the cover when he was at Fresno. You know, it's like people outside of New York, I don't think had any idea who Rafer Austin was at that point. Um, and like, we weren't, we definitely were not afraid to like say outrageous things. You know, it's like Rafer Austin was on there as the best point guard you've never heard of in parentheses or like, um, this one people still get mad about, I feel like, and the cover unfortunately didn't work out too good. Cause like it didn't look great. Um, mm-hmm. there were some color issues, but we put Grant Hill on the cover in that, in that crazy, like, you know, exhaust pipe horse uniform. <laughs> and the line was like, just like Mike only better. Uh-huh. And you know, we knew we were pushing the envelope with stuff like that. Like mm. I'm pretty sure if I'm remembering correctly, I think I came up with that particular line and like, whatever, I'm the a huge Jordan fan Did I think Grant Hill was better than Michael Jordan. Probably not. Probably not. Did I think that that line was like provocative and you could like kind of make a case? I mean, that was the point when like before he got hurt and he was like, you know, not quite Russell Westbrook level, but he was going out there and getting triple doubles like a bunch to start that season. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, this is the next dude. And it's like, there was a degree of like, you know, Jordan, as much as he was the greatest guy, you know, he was kind of part of that, that prior generation, you know, as a magazine, we obviously had to, you know, fully respect what he did. And we did, but it was all these next guys coming up. You know, Iverson was a slam guy. Garnett was a slam guy. You know, you you would get them for a cover or whatever, and they were psyched about it. Right. Like a cover actually meant something back then, and they and they knew like, you know, <laughs> you didn't have to tell them like what the the slam attitude of a cover was. You know, it's like Garnett knew to put on the screw face, and you know, just like mm-hmm. guys would break the jewels out or bring the cars out, like. Um, you know, we shot Stephon Marbury in Coney Island when he was on the Nets. And I remember with that one, like my initial idea was I wanted to get him with two of his cars sitting on the hoods, like that EPMD cover. Mm -hmm. And I figured like one, he'd be in his Nets uniform and one, he'd be in street clothes. So it would be like the EPMD thing, but it would be him on both. So I remember like before a Nets game, like before the shoot, I saw him and was like, yo, like, you know, bring two cars to this shoot and make sure at least one is your Bentley. And uh, he came through with two Bentleys. Wow. To Coney Island, you know, like a summer morning. We heard them coming from blocks away because the stereo in one of them was cranked so loud it was setting off car alarms. (laughs) And, And like... Yeah, it was just like it was a whole morning, you know, it's right. like a whole morning in Coney Island with Steph parked in front of his old building um, with his little girl eating like chicken wings in the back seat of his Bentley four door watching something on the TV screens, you know, and she's like dropping stuff on the floor. And I'm looking at it like, man, like it's like a 200, you know, $300,000 car with like this hand, you know, knitted wool rugs and, but it's like, right, like to him, it's just a car. And to her, it's just a car, obviously, because she's like three years old. Uh, you know, it, it was just it was just crazy stuff. Like, and the thing was that, like, 
you know, for most of us who are the writers and the editors, like, and the photographers and the, and the, the design people, like we all kind of came up the same way. We were all like pretty close in age. Like we weren't that much older than these guys and we were listening to the same music that they were, or like, you know, we could sort of relate to them, I think in a, in a much easier way than say the average writer for the daily paper who was maybe just doing a job, mm-hmm. you know? And, and also we didn't have to necessarily like, not to say we didn't ask tough questions because I think we did, but we wouldn't have to ask tough questions like immediately following a game. We didn't have to ask them like, yo, why did you, you know, what were you thinking on that last play? Right. Where like your man got by you. We could ask them bigger, broader questions and, you know, have these better relationships with guys. Right. Um, again, you're, you're now at a time where, again, this is way back 20, 25 years ago, different from what we have now. Like you said earlier, that anybody can get a credential to cover a game. And that wasn't the way back then. Now everybody is with the advent of social media, Twitter, Instagram, anybody can walk into, walk into MSG and say, I'm going to cover this game. But back then, um, I could be wrong, but maybe NBA.com was not around at the time. If it was, it was very early. I think it probably just started. You know, print was the way of the world with with you guys and just kind of being edgier, like like Slam, like the Source magazine, like Vibe magazine. Um, and when it came to sports, I, I, to me, it was either Slam, Sports Illustrated, or even like the Sporting News, where if you want to know about a certain player or anything like that, those were the publications you had to go out and buy um, right. for basketball features, for profiles, for posters, which you, you know, which you guys did. Um, yeah, yeah. But how important was it for Slam to 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 really engage in all that and kind of be different than than, than you know than everybody else? Oh, it was huge. And like you know, there was that there was that ground where you could be different from everybody else because obviously Sports Illustrated did what they did and the Sporting News and whoever else, but like. You know, it, it, there were only so many. There were only so right. many outlets, and there were only so many things happening. You know, it's like I know when I was a kid, like pre-slam, growing up as a Jordan fan, it's like yeah, I could watch watch the Bulls on WGN. Um, but other than that, like if I wanted to read something about Jordan, I got to wait for like SI to come out that week. And if he was on the cover the previous week, he's probably not going to be in the next issue. So, you know, you're not you're not getting to see that much. It's not like now and and. You know, it's the good and bad, you know, like the way things are now with Twitter, with Instagram, with like all these different websites mm. that cover basketball on a daily basis. Like, you know, they need to use everything like and I think players know that obviously players know that and players are a little bit more on their guard now, maybe about how they act or what they say or what they do, um, because they do know that literally anything they say or anything they do could pop up right then and cause problems you know it's like back then it's like you'd be in a locker room and you'd overhear like a lot of conversations or like you know see a lot of things happening but you're not necessarily going to use all of it like you would definitely understand that like hey like this is between these guys like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna blow my chance to you know talk to someone for a feature later because i want to like tell this little story about like them talking to another guy, a teammate about something, you know, now it's like you sort of, if you overhear something, you need to post it up because if you don't, someone else is going to, and then you're going to get asked like, why didn't you talk about this? Or why, why didn't you, 
you know, get this because you were, we know you were there. Um, you know, and I think guys do get tired of it. And it, it, it's, it's, it's a definitely a more overcrowded world these days with all of that stuff. Yeah. You know, so, even, yeah. even, even to go with sneakers, you know, it's like uh-huh. we would get psyched to like show whatever the new Jordan was. And now it's like, I mean, you see it, everyone sees it. Like there's 20 new pairs on the shelf every week. Like, I don't even know how you would cover that nowadays. So like for you, for someone who's, who's been around doing this for so long and you've been there um, back then and, and you kind of see what happens now and, and, and even me as a fan reading those magazines and seeing the coverage now, are, do you kind of miss, the, miss the, the, the days of when Slam was out, you get the magazine every month, every month and a half to find out who, who won the game. You got to go and watch Center. Or maybe hear the radio and living in New York, you know, whatever city you uh, you're in. Do you kind of miss that? Where it's like you said, it's not overcrowded, it's not oversaturated because now you feel like you're getting too much information too quick. I mean, I like that. It's good and bad, right? Like, mm-hmm. I like that some of it was slow. You know, I like that some things like you actually had a chance to think about it right. before you wrote, or like you know, talk to someone on multiple occasions in multiple places before you put anything together. Cause I think that way you could have like a more complete picture of things. And obviously there are things like that that are still happening, you know, whether it's sports illustrated or slam, the fact that it still exists and it's, you know, in its print state. Um, but everything now is so caught up in like the next, the next, the next, the next that, mm-hmm. you know, you don't get as much of a chance to reflect. Like, you're definitely getting more information. I don't know if all that information is entirely necessary. You know, I, I think there's definitely like a little bit of an OD on some of it. Um, the one thing I do like though is, you know, you do get immediate feedback. You know, that that's kind of like what I like about social media and about, you know, writing stuff for the web. Like, you know, I know from Complex or from, uh, um, the late great triangle offense that we also did for a while. Like if I wrote a piece for that, you know, I'm going to have people hitting me up on Twitter immediately about it. Right. Um, you know, in, in the slam days, <laughs> you would write something. It would take like a month, if not more to go from, what do you call it? From, uh, typing it out to edit, to right. print. Yeah. You know, and then you got to wait for people to write letters about it. So it's like, you know, that process was so stretched out. Um, I do like kind of the immediate response to things and immediate feedback and like, you know, being able to post stuff on a longer format immediately. But uh, because, I mean, the the most stressful period of Slam, like being an editor or whatever, would be you would pick someone for a cover and even do the shoot and then you spend the next couple of weeks being like man i hope this guy doesn't get hurt or i hope this guy doesn't get traded true yeah because like at that point there's nothing you could do about it you know mm-hmm. it's like you're running with it um you know there were some that ended up getting getting switched out pretty late i know early on when i was editor we were going to do regional covers with uh chris rubber and jason williams on the kings out west and Marbury and Van Horn in the East when they were on the Nets. And, you know, I wrote the Marbury Van Horn story and preseason was great. And the regular season kicks off and the Nets were just awful. So we, I mean, we killed it. Like we ran the story, but 
it wasn't a cover anymore. Oh man, <laughs> Jay Will and <laughs> Jay Will and Webb ended up the whole country, um, which worked out fortunately. Mm. But uh, yeah, I mean, there, 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 there's good things about long lead time and bad things. So right. Was there um, a favorite article that you wrote on, on a player or a, like a profile you done on a player? Or is there, and is there one that kind of gave you the most headaches? Man, I mean, there were a couple. There were a couple I really liked. Um, I wrote the, the Iverson story with the Afro cover. And uh, we were like riding around a limo in New York. He was doing some things. And, you know, they just set me up with him for like a whole morning. Um and that was like, I mean, looking back, it's funny. I mean, that was 99, but that was before he, he hadn't played in an all-star game yet, like because of the lockout and everything else. So um, he was kind of just coming into his own as an NBA guy, like as an NBA star, you know, I want to say like, not that it took him that long, but, um, and like, he was just, he was just one of the best dudes to talk to Like, I mean, even now, like that dude has like no filter. So you know, he'll, he'll be, he'll keep it a hundred percent real talking about anything. So, um, you know, that was a great one to do. Um, and then when we did, we did something with Kevin Garnett and we went to his house in Minnesota and he was getting like his huge compound built at that point. Like he already signed the big contract, but, um, he was living in some, like, you know, it was, it was just like, a like a regular development. Like mm -hmm. it was, it was sort of an ungated gated community. Like you didn't have to go through a gate to get there, but the houses were pretty big and whatever else. Um, and, uh, he had like a basket set up in his driveway. You know, he's like shooting in his driveway, but wearing like a full on T wolves uniform. Um, and like he, he had just gotten the new mob deep record that wasn't out yet which I found out afterwards it wasn't out yet. And I was a little heated, but uh, <laughs> it was like, right. It was right when murder music was coming out and right. he played it all day, you know, like the whole day, like, cause he's like trying to memorize lyrics and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and we were shooting him on like a background, like taped to his garage door. And it was me and Jonathan Mannion, who at that point has shot like all the, um, all the Def Jam stuff already, or, you know, Rockefeller stuff. He had shot Jay, he had shot DMX, he had shot whoever else. Um, and like, he showed Kevin his book of photos before we started shooting. And KG saw that like, he had done the DMX covers and he hit like his mind was blown. And Manny was like, yo, like I can call him if you want to say what's up. He's like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Um, you know, and that's the thing, like with guys like Jonathan Mannion, with guys like Clay Patrick McBride, like, you know, we had that hip hop NBA crossover, even in the photographers we used. And I think, you know, there's something to be said for that, you know, that old saying about how like rappers want to be ballplayers and ballplayers want to be rappers. But like, mm -hmm. you know, if we were going to show them kind of in that same light as like an album cover. Well, the best way to do that is to get the guys who shot the album covers. True. You know, if, if we're, if we're going to turn a Kevin Garnett or an Allen Iverson into a Jay-Z, like get the guy who shot Jay-Z. That makes the most sense. Like they know how to set that up. And I think, you know, I think we were able to do that. You know, I, I'm not saying like Slam alone was able to do that. Obviously, like Jordan's image 
was already created and you know he he was on that level um but i think if you go back and look at a lot of the imagery we did like you know that definitely set the stage for a lot of things that came after mm. how often do you go back um you know because some people they do things, they do a show, they do a podcast, they do a performance, and they never look back at it. They don't, you know, hear themselves to, to you know, critique themselves, or whatever. How often do you go back and look and read over your old stuff, and do you ever wonder, man, I could have or I should have done something different back then reading it now? Uh, I mean, that stuff, I, I already went through all those regrets. I mean, if you're a writer, I mean, you, you go through those regrets the second it gets published, you know, like... The second you send it off, you're like, damn, I should have asked this or I should have asked that. You know, like you're always self, the most self-critical. Um, you know, I hate nothing more than listening back to interviews I did where I'm like, shit, I shouldn't have like started talking there because that dude, he was going to say something else or like mm-hmm. I should have followed up that question. Um, you know, you're never not going to be self-critical about that stuff. Um, you know, I don't I, I don't I don't really look back at it like that now. You know, I look back at it and be like more of the sense that I'm just happy I was a part of it and happy I was able to to do whatever it was I did, like to, you know, to push things back then. Um, You know, it's funny you asked me about uh, stories like where I have problems or whatever. It's like there were a bunch like that, too. And like that's not even looking back in regret. Like, you know, there was one we we were going to do Gary Payton and, you know, I called the people at the Sonics to set it up and the PR guy was basically like flat out. Like he's, he's not going to do it unless you like promise him a cover. And at that point we weren't going to put him on the cover. And I'm like, well, you know, this is what it is. I'm going to come out anyway. Um, you know, cause we still want to do this. And this was when print had actual budgets and stuff. So, you know, I was out there for a couple days and like going to practices and Mm -hmm. maybe it was just a practice in a game. I don't remember exactly, but, um, you know, spent a bunch of time, talked to a bunch of his teammates and, you know, the, the last game I went to or the game I went to, they were playing the Lakers. And I I think Gary was one of those guys who just didn't talk to anyone pregame. Like he didn't do press pregame, but I went up to him like, Hey, you know, I'm from slam. Like I'm here to do a story on you. I understand. Like you don't want to do one-on-one, you know, unless you get the cover or whatever, whatever. And he's like, look, like, yeah, I mean, that's the situation, but you know, if you want to be in the group at the end, you know, if you have any questions, I'll, I'll ask, I'll answer them. I'm like, all right, cool. You know, that's fine. That's all I need. I just want a couple quotes or whatever. Mm. Um, so this is like, I don't know when this was exactly. It, it must have been late 90s. And uh, they, they're they up. They're, they're playing well. And they just blew it. End of the game. Blow it. Lakers come back and beat them. At home in Seattle. You know, at this point, this is like Seattle not that far removed from their finals appearance. The Lakers hadn't, you know, quite figured it out yet. So... You know, Seattle was definitely the favorites. And after the game, like, I'm waiting at GP's locker, and he just comes out of the shower and starts getting dressed. And, you know, at some point while he's doing this, I, I'm just like, damn, he's just not going to talk, is he? He's just going to go home. <laughs> and that was the thing. Like, he just got dressed and was out. Wow. So, like, 
I wrote a Gary Payton story without talking to Gary Payton. Um, and it's funny, like I, I, they weren't back to back to back or anything, but I had a little bit of string of those where it's like, I went to Houston to do a Scotty Pippen story and I was maybe the wrong person to do the story. Cause I was still like all sprung on like Pippen on the Bulls, So I wanted to ask him bulls questions. Right. And Scotty at that point was just not having it with the bulls stuff. Like he was over it. He just wanted to do whatever he was doing now and forget it. Um, and it was sort of the same thing. Like I would get to talk to him and we would start talking and I would ask him something that would, he wouldn't be feeling and he would just cut it off. Like there were a couple times in that, like, I probably have a tape somewhere and those are tapes I definitely do not want to listen to because like <laughs> I'm sure I asked I something stupid and he's like, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like all of his teammates were great. You know, that was like early Katino Mobley, Steve Francis days, Hakeem Olajuwon, Charles Barkley, um, Pig Miller, uh, what's his name? Antoine Carr, the original big dog. Like mm-hmm. all these guys were terrific. So, you know, doing the piece was was fine even with a little bit less scotty than maybe i would have liked um the enduring uh, the enduring memory of that trip though is one day i'm in the locker room and i think i was out there for like two games in a practice or something and barkley comes through the door i'm already in the locker room and he just looks over and sees me and he's like you again like why don't you just go home and I, don't think, I think he just meant it in like a joking manner. But like at that point, it was just like, oh, God, yeah, this trip has been <laughs> this trip has been rough. Yeah. Um, but the the best one like that was and I'd have to look up exactly what year this was. I mean, it would be easy to find the actual game. So I went to Atlanta to do a piece on J.R. Ryder. Wow. And this was like this was definitely early 2000s because I, I had a cell phone. But as I found out when I got to Atlanta, apparently whatever cell phone plan I had, like literally only worked in New York because like I get off the phone and this big, I mean, I get off the plane and this big Nokia brick is like getting zero bars. So I'm like, (laughs) damn, like to talk to anyone, I got to like be in my hotel room. Uh Um, And this is Lang was contributing to Slam at that point, but Lang Whitaker, but he wasn't, he was still living in Atlanta and wasn't full time. So he was kind of my guy in Atlanta to like set stuff up. And, uh, Jr. had obviously already had problems with Hawks management, but he was like the leading scorer on the team. Like he was still like the guy on the Hawks. Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember like I get to the arena early and I'm in the Hawks locker room and I notice like Jr.'s locker is right between Jason Terry and, uh, oh man, Dion Glover, who were the rookies at the time. And I'm thinking to myself, like, damn, if this dude's like such a bad influence, like, why do you give him the locker between t- the, your two rookies? True. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. And clearly hindsight, Jason Terry didn't get affected too bad. Cause I think he played like longer than anybody ever, basically. Um, but so JR is not there. And I talked to a couple of the guys in the team and ended up going to the visitor's locker room. And I forget, I don't even remember who they were playing, but talking to someone in there when Lang comes in, because he's credential for the game too, and he's like, yo, like, you might want to go back to the Hawks side. Like, JR just got here, mm. and he's, like, closed up in the office, like, yelling, basically, with, like, Lenny Wilkins and whoever the GM was. I'm like, damn, all right, this is bad. So 
I go in and JR ends up like all those guys are closed away in the coach's office until the media session ends. So we have no idea what's actually going on. Go out, sit in the press seats on the sideline or whatever to watch the game. And uh, game starts, no JR. We're like, all right, where is he? We know he's in the building. <laughs> and like a little way through the first quarter, he comes out in street clothes. Hmm, and a little bit later, like they pass a sheet along press row. I don't even know if they do that anymore. They probably still do for like scores and stuff, but it's just like this little like PR announcement. Like, you know, there will be a press conference after the game with Hawks guard, J.R. Ryder. Like, oh man. All right. So after the game, after pretty much right after the game on the practice court or whatever, he's out there. And they announced they're releasing him. Oh, and shit. <laughs> this was like literally like the first day I got there. I'm supposed to catch up with him at practice the next day. Clearly, he's not going to practice um, since he's no longer on the team. And like, <laughs> I think I caught up with him while he was leaving after that presser to be like, dude, like, all right, how are we going to do this? He's like, oh, just call me. Just call me. I had his cell phone number. Never got in touch with him. I think I left him messages like no one ever answered the phone. Damn. Um, and I mean, same thing, you know, it's like that's the kind of thing where, well, you don't get the interview. But I mean, that's a really good story. <laughs> so, like, you know, does 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 a uh, Gary Payton ever say all oh, these years later, hey, Russ, you know, you, you did a feature <laughs> on me and you never spoke to me. Yeah, no, nah, I haven't. Well, I haven't seen GP in a while. Um you know, or even Scotty or whatever. I feel like with some of these dudes, like, you know, they deal with so many people in the media and so many things, like, they don't necessarily even think about it or even remember it. Um, I mean, there are other guys, obviously, who, you know, even now, after years of not seeing them, like, they'll definitely say what's up. You know, they definitely remember me from Slam or from whatever else, like LeBron, I mean, or Kobe or guys like that. Definitely Mar Stefan Marbury. Like, there's guys I talk to on Twitter or whatever. Mm. Um, you know, Kobe, obviously, is one of those guys who's very good at all that stuff. But, you know, I remember at one point, like, I didn't see him for over a year. And I think they were playing in, like, Indiana. And I came out, like, wild early on the court to see what was happening. And he was out there shooting. I think he might have been the only one. And, like, he saw me and came over right away you know, and like says what's up by name and whatever else. And it's like, damn, all right. Mm -hmm. Like that's a, it's kind of a small thing for them, but like, that's the kind of thing you remember. Right. Um, the slam cover, man, you know, I know a lot of people, a lot of players would appreciate, uh, the feature in there or the, or the poster inside the magazine. But I, I, I really, me as a fan want to understand, why the slam magazine cover was so coveted was it because it was something brand new and just like anything that's, that's brand new or is a phenomenon we all, we all want to be a part of it like what about me what about me or was it the fact that hey if russ Bankson was, was on the cover uh, uh in october of 99 what about me i'm better than him was it more like a competition kind of thing or just kind of being that that point in time where these players felt they were good enough good enough to be recognized I think it was a combination of like pretty much all of those things. You know, I think, uh, I think guys did look at it as a competition of sorts. Um, I don't know if guys would necessarily agree with that, but you know, I think that was some of it. Um, 
and I, honestly, I think some of it also was like, you know, that was more so even than than any regular feature, even if we shot you for a feature, like, you know, that's your chance to literally shine. Like, I mean, I said before, with the jewelry thing is like, you know, guys would break out everything for that if they could. Um, you know, you could watch like the evolution of Alan Iverson's chains through his slam covers, uh, you know, or KG. And it's funny, like Garnett was one of those guys. I feel like there was kind of a pattern, especially once the hundred million dollar barrier got broken, where it's like, you know, guys who get this sort of little quote unquote starter gold chain when they first joined the league, then they would go to platinum with the big, like iced out medallion. And then I think, I, I think for some of these guys, certainly KG, but like you would hit a point where it's like, damn, like everyone knows you're making a hundred million. You don't need to wear like this big platinum piece to show people you're rich. Everyone knows how rich you are. You know, so at some point you're just like, all right, I probably don't even need this anymore. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I think the cover was was certainly like validation for certain people. Um, I mean, damn, we even put Reggie Miller on the cover at one point, even though he was Tony's arch enemy growing up as a Knicks <laughs> fan as he did. Um, you know, we saw a lot of bad things happen at his hands at the Garden, right. but Absolutely. I don't have to tell you that. But uh yeah, and like, you know, for some guys, it kind of became almost an annual thing. You know, it's like at some point during his prime, it's like you knew we were going to give Allen Iverson a cover pretty much every year. Like you knew we were going to give LeBron James a cover every year. Um, you know, Stefan was going to get covers like we obviously like had. I don't want to say a regional bias, but like, you know, there was something to be said for like the Sebastian Telfair. You know, does he get slam covers if slam's not based in New York? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, you know, probably not the second one. Um, the one with him and LeBron is still like a favorite. Mm -hmm. But you know, and, and it was and it was to a degree generational. You know, it's like we were, we put Mike on the cover, but when we shot Mike, like they were like, you know, you have 35 seconds on this day to click the camera twice, and you better hope you get something. You know, it's like he wasn't going to give us a lot of time, whereas guys who were kind of in our um in our era guys who grew, the guys who grew up with slam like you know they were they were down to do whatever um you know iverson always gave us great stuff although clay reminded me he was literally 13 hours late to the afro photo shoot which is which is pretty incredible i mean i think that's like that's about as late as you can be without canceling which he actually did the next time we went and shot him. We went to shoot him in Philly, and he just left practice, and we couldn't get him to come back, so we all came home. Um, but whatever, you know, that was that was just part and parcel of dealing with Iverson. You knew that was gonna that stuff was gonna happen. You kind of factored that stuff in. Like sometimes you're just not gonna get him right away, right? Um, you know, but KG KG gave us like all day at his house for that one, mm -hmm. and like we were there after he left. Like him and his friends went to the Vikings game. We're still on his property, like breaking equipment down. You know, it's like <laughs> he kind of literally gave us run of the place. Um, wow. And, and, and which I should have definitely taken advantage and stolen the Mob Deep CD since it didn't come out for another like two weeks. But uh, I still can't listen to that album without thinking about that thing. Like I literally stopped at a record store on my way to the airport to be like, damn, I got to buy this now. Cause I've been listening to this whole time. Right. And the guy's like, yeah, it's not out yet. Like, great. Thanks. <laughs> um, is there a player, let's say 
well, I would say back in back in the day, uh, because you know, anybody can make it now. But did you feel like there was somebody who could have or should have made the slam cover, but just never did? You know, it's it's, it's like saying, well, this guy should have made the All Star team at least once, but never made it. So sh- should one player? Uh, let's say 15 years ago, 20 years ago, maybe even 10, that, that has never been on it, uh, but uh, right, right, right. deserved it. I never think about it. I mean, so, I, feel like, I feel like most of the guys who should have made it, made it, you know, at least like, at least late. You know, some guys probably should have been on it earlier. Um, but I mean, I feel like we hit most of the high points. I, I would almost, damn, I would almost have to sit down and like literally look through every cover we did and like mm. see if anyone hits me. But like, um, damn, I want to say, you know, if anyone, it, it would have been like one of those like, you know, dunk contest dudes who like maybe didn't, uh, maybe didn't do as much in the league, but like was actually like super exciting you know or like you know i think if you look back like it would have been cool to do high school covers earlier you know like someone who would have been awesome to put on the cover would have been like a ronnie fields you know back when him and garnett were a farragut like but that was just so early in slam's existence i don't know if i don't know if they were quite right you know if they were quite ready for that that would have even before me like right you know that i think even putting iverson on the cover when he was in college was kind of a risk back then but you know obviously as it turned out like to not have iverson on the cover while he was at georgetown sounds crazy yeah I know. um you know it, it would have been cool to do like looking back like during that era to do like a big East cover, you know, like Kittles and Ray Allen and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but doing it back then, I feel like when slam didn't, wasn't really much yet, you know, it would have been hard to explain to like all these schools like, Oh yeah, this is, this is what, who we are and what we do. And this is what we want to do. They would have been like, what? Yeah. It's funny. Um, yeah. It's funny. You mentioned uh, the, the slam dunk stuff. Cause you know, at that time, maybe you mentioned somebody who like, was a great dunker, won the won the, the the dunk contest, but just wasn't really getting much playing time in the season. Like someone like like a Harold Miner could have been a guy that could have made at least one cover because I think he won it in 1993 90, and ninety five. So you so you guys were definitely around at that time, uh, you know, in in the infant stages. But like 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 a Harold Miner could have made one during that time. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, and that's the thing too is like Slam definitely took chances even early on. You know, it's like. I mean, first of all, it's bold enough to come out with a basketball magazine after Jordan retires. I mean, that seems kind of crazy to me. Um, you know, and, and LJ gets the first cover. But then, like, that year, I mean, they did Sprewell and uh, Tim Hardaway. Yeah. You know, it's like, that was some, that was kind of out there for, for that period of time. Um, you know, or even doing John Starks, like, after the Knicks lost the finals. But... You know, I think that built the base that that built up like what Slam eventually turned into. Mm-hmm. Did you did you ever ask the main people up there like, hey, you know, why did you start with Larry Johnson as the first cover? Like out of all the people at that time, uh, one, Pippen, <laughs> anybody else, Ewing, it could have been anybody. Like what was appealing about Larry Johnson about being, you know, him being the first ever cover of Slam? Did, did you ever ask that? 
Yeah, I don't remember exactly what the reasoning was. I mean, I, I'm sure it came into being, but I mean, also, you know what? Like, you can look back now and like the other guys who are who are Hall of Famers and everything else, and I think like, mm-hmm. you know, hindsight for that is one thing, but I feel like back then, like, it did make sense back in '94. You know, the Hornets are still like were still that young team. Like, they had the the purple and aqua thing going on. Like, LJ yeah. was still in like full on grandmama with the gold tooth and the and the razor part. Like. You know, he he was definitely one of the best young players before he got hurt. So, you know, and kind of coming into his own at that point as like kind of the new Charles Barkley. Um, You know, that that I I think that actually did make a lot of sense. And speaking of that's that's a dude who probably should have gotten a cover at some point is Barkley. Um, I mean, he was a little bit on the decline at that point. But, you know, he figured what not much. I mean, he was MVP in what, 93. So, um you know, you could have definitely made a case for him, like, in 94. I assume that was probably some, like, you know, just not coming together thing and Slam being published a little less frequently. Um, you know, obviously, we got Shaq early on. Hakeem got, like, one, like, alternate cover kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I think we caught, like, some of that, quote-unquote, greatest generation bunch of guys. Um, but I, mean, I think the focus pretty quickly moved to like, all right, the young, the young up and comers, you know, some of whom we hit early, some of whom we hit right on time, you know, doing like Paul Pierce and Jason Williams and Vince Carter, like all his rookies, um, you know, T-Mac early on with the magic, uh, Jermaine O'Neal, obviously once he, once he set it off with the Pacers, like, uh, you know, I think the focus turned to like, all right, who are, who are the guys really like putting it on right now as opposed to, you know, oh, wow, like we we should definitely do this guy because he's like a potential Hall of Famer. You know, it was more of like the the who's the exciting guys of the moment. Who, who are the guys who are going to keep pushing the league forward? Yeah, I'm looking at it, man. I'm looking at all 220 issues and I don't see Sir Charles, man. That, 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 that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I I think that, but I think that was a case of like, you know, that that's that generation gap a mm, little bit, you right. know, where it's like when we were first starting out, he's at his peak. It's like, what's slam to him? You know, we're we're not anything. We're we're not even on his radar. So like, to get him to do to to give the time to do a cover is probably going to be harder than getting like, you know, certainly Sprewell and Hardaway you know guys who are younger who maybe have a little more sense of like you know they need us a little bit at least um or willing to entertain something being new yeah um i know we mentioned several times that you know slant came out after jordan and i think it was a very it's a very interesting time because there is a new generation as you mentioned uh a lot of players have tattoos, the dress code going on, different hairstyles. You, you mentioned players are now coming out of high school like Garnett and Kobe. Uh, hip-hop music is, you know, in, influencing uh, these guys. But I really, I really commend Slam to really embracing all that because, you know, all of that could turn different companies away. And be like, you know what, I, I don't, I don't want to mess with these guys. But Slam say, hey, you know what? That that's fine with us. That's perfect. Um, how important was that for Slam to embrace all of that and to kind of you know embrace all of that within the basketball culture? 
Oh, I mean, I think it was super important because I think, you know, that was what basketball culture was. You know, I, I think that was the mistake made by like some of the old guard people like, you know, whatever, Hoop, even like the actual NBA magazine. It's like, you know, oh, we're going to like strip Iverson's tattoos off for the cover because like we don't want that that image on there. But it's like, yo, that that wasn't just an image like that was who these people were. That, that was who these guys are. That's like, you know part of them that's as much a part of them as the basketball like you know i think like you know maybe it was revolutionary then but like i mean we just looked at guys as like this is the whole person Mm -hmm. you know if they're gonna curse we're gonna run it if they're gonna get tattoos we're not gonna like photoshop them out if they have you know if they go out and get their ridiculous crazy platinum medallion we're gonna have them wear it on the cover you know it's like i think by letting people be them you know, that benefited us too. I mean, that made them more comfortable, not only like posing for covers, but it made them more comfortable talking to us too. You know, I think we could get things out of guys that your average publication wasn't going to. And, you know, I don't think that was by not being confrontational or not like being knowledgeable about the sport, but like it was just letting guys speak for themselves and letting them talk about what they wanted and letting them talk how they wanted. Um, Mm. You know, we got accused like by various people over the years of just being fans or whatever else and not like being super critical. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, we are fans. We're definitely fans of the sport. I mean, we'd be crazy to like, why would you ever do that job if you weren't? Exactly. Like, why would you want to be around basketball all the time if you didn't like it? So, um, you know, I never looked at that as like as a negative thing. And we weren't, you know, yeah, I mean, we're, we're not trying to, like, do any kind of, like, expose to, like, <laughs> you know, ruin anything or whatever. But, like, I mean, I think we were critical and we had to be critical. We could probably be too critical sometimes, like, with noise or whatever, like, being downright mean to people. But, uh, you know, yeah, obviously, like, the whole the whole point of a cover, the whole point of, like, a lot of the features is, like, yeah, we're celebrating basketball. We're not trying to like hurt it. Of course, we're fans. Mm. How uh, how did you like yourself and Slam kind of adapt and evolve as time went on? Because you know you guys have been through multiple eras of Jordan, Kobe, LeBron, um, Shaq, Iverson, and now now coming up maybe with the Curry and Durant era. Like when the culture is shifting, when the eras are shifting what's going through Slam's mind, what's going through your mind as these guys are like, they're great for a certain time, but then you guys always know there's someone always brand new coming up. So how did you guys deal with Jordan leaving, Kobe leaving, eventually LeBron leaving and having this new wave coming up? You know, I think it just happens naturally because especially the way Slam works and the way it's always worked, you know, it's like we're covering guys in high school. We're covering guys in college. So like, that next generation already knows who we are. That next generation, and we know who they are. You know, it's like we're already, they're already kind of being cycled in. It's a constant process. I mean, if you go through an issue with, like, anyone on the cover, you know, anyone at the peak of their game, say Iverson or whoever, like, there's probably someone else in there who's going to be a star, like, 10 years from now. So, you know, you're kind of laying the groundwork from all the time. You're not, like, fully, you know, you're not fully committed to one particular generation. You're, you're constantly like doing stuff on all these different guys, you know? And I think that was the, that was the thing about, um, 
starting the magazine when Jordan was gone is like, if you can do that, man, you don't have to worry about anybody retiring ever. Because if you could make a magazine about basketball succeed without the greatest of all time, like you're going to be able to do it through anything. So, you know, when Jordan came back and by the time he retired the second time and the third time, it's like, Mm. man, that was just a gift. You know, it's like, yeah. I mean, were we happy that he, he did come back and won more championships? Of course. Like we got a chance to actually, you know, go to Chicago stadium and go to the United center and write about Jordan. You know, he didn't give us a whole lot of one-on-one time, but he got some (laughs) for like special issues or whatever. Um, but at that point, you know, we were we were already writing about the next generation. You know, jo- Jordan's back that time, but we're already doing stuff on Kobe. We're doing stuff on Iverson. We're doing stuff on Marbury. Like, and Kobe's in the All Star game. We could just go sit and chat and talk to him. You know, it's like because we knew Kobe from the beginning. Mm-hmm. While some of the national guys, you know, they they don't they didn't have that connection. Like we were always forging that connection to the next group of guys. You know, whether that was covering guys at hoop summit or the mcdonald's game or everything else like you know we kind of stood out too so um that relationship was always there and that relationship was always being worked on with the next guy you know ryan jones who was editor after me mm-hmm. we flew him out to akron when lebron was a sophomore to do something on lebron and that was you know it wasn't a cover the sports illustrated cover ended up being his first cover but i think we were the first like national sports publication to do something on them. Um, and, you know, that established a relationship, certainly between Ryan and, and, and LeBron, but between Slam and LeBron too. So later on, when he's a superstar and he's got people coming at him from all sides, you know, him and his people could look at it and be like, yeah, Slam, Slam was with us from the beginning. We're going to do this for them now. You know, I went out when I did my LeBron cover story i think it was a cover story um i went to cleveland and the pr woman at the time was like you know like this mad secretive like oh just come with me and she took me into like the i think it was like the the Cavs like sauna room in their arena and lebron came in and like i got one-on-one time with him like they weren't giving one-on-one time to other media at that point and that was a game you you could (laughs) i could actually look up when it happened because um, Dikembe Mutombo caught him with an elbow during that game and like broke his nose. So he didn't even go in the locker room post game. Like he was getting treated. So like, if I didn't get that time with him pregame, I wouldn't have gotten time with him at all. But you know, LeBron looked out for us. And that was like, I think even before like team media and team PR people started to realize like, Oh, slam is something we need to like pay attention to or pay respect to or whatever. Like the players were ahead of the curve on that because the players knew who we were because they probably grew up reading us or, you know, wanting to be on the cover or whatever else. So, um, you know, I think it was always about the players and that helped them and it helped us. Also, in the magazine that, you know, for, for, for the young readers who, you know, weren't around when you guys were doing this, 
um, in, in, you know, in the beginning, but you guys created Slam Kicks. And now Slam Kicks is a whole different entity you guys created, and it just boomed. It became a, a big phenomenon. I think it started in 98, uh, September of 98. It changed the landscape for sneakers, NBA culture, how the youth looks at who's wearing what on the court. And now we it just totally out of proportion now where you see people coming off the elevator in the arena and now they got different sweaters and pants and socks and sneakers and hats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's like a fucking fashion show. But how impactful you think Slam Kicks had when they started, what, 21 years ago? And now you see everybody's pretty much paying attention to what everybody's wearing. And I think at the time, it was only Jordan's pennies and maybe if, uh, you know, Iverson's at, at that time. But now... If Slam Kicks doesn't put a certain sneaker in that magazine or doesn't uh, uh, profile it, a lot of kids don't know about it, you know, including grown men. So how was that impact for Slam Kicks? I mean, I think back, I think back then it was definitely important. I mean, you know, I never, I can never remember like whether basketball got me into sneakers or sneakers got me into basketball. It was kind of almost the same time. It was so intertwined. And like back then, when I first got into it, like there wasn't anything like that. Like, you know, yeah, you'd have to go look at like Sports Illustrated and look like real closely like, oh, what's Jordan wearing in these pictures? Or like, you know, certainly watch a game on TV. And like any kid who watches old highlights on YouTube knows pre-HD TV was not the move for figuring out what people (laughs) were wearing. Definitely not. (laughs) I mean, you couldn't see anything. So, you know, I, I think like, you know, like slam in general, I think kicks was just an outgrowth of like, you know, that was something that, that we wanted, you know, that was something that we always wanted and we were in the position to be able to do something about it. Um, I mean, that first issue was crazy cause that was in partnership with Nike. So that entire issue is Nike. And I mean, to their credit, they really opened the doors to us to do a lot of different things. Like you know, back in 99, you weren't seeing a lot, or 98, you weren't seeing a lot of stuff like that. But, you know, we got into like where the designers were and we did pieces on designers. Um, we went to Wyden and Kennedy and talked to the guys who did the, all the Spike Lee ads, you know, we got like, mm. and I remember they sent it to us on some like format that we couldn't even watch. It was some like huge tape for some industrial thing, but like literally a reel of every Nike commercial ever or every Nike basketball commercial ever, maybe, um, which is some wild stuff. And we would like break those down, like into like, you know, screen grabs of different commercials. Like they really let us go deep into like, you know, not just the current Nike basketball stuff, but, you know, also getting back into that history. Um, you know, and I think if you go back to that first issue in particular, that really like, did set the stage for a lot of this stuff that would come after and a lot of the the websites and like all these super deep dives into all this sneaker stuff um and yeah i mean like who knows you know it's like players keeping an eye on that you know i was always into like guys getting like player edition shoes and whatever else so like in regular issues of slam like i was able to convince brands to send us some of those to shoot um we would get stuff like in actual player sizes. Uh, and I don't, I don't know if anyone was doing that at that point, you know, maybe some of the super obsessive, like Japanese magazines, mm-hmm. what they can get their hands on. You know, we had a couple of those in the office too. There was like Boone, 
which was like a Japanese magazine that did like these, they did these crazy comprehensive like Jordan issues where they had photos of like every original Jordan one and Jordan one prototypes and all of this crazy stuff that like you would never see. And it's like, man, like where are they getting this stuff? And like, we couldn't read any of it, but like, I mean, I've still got those issues somewhere, you know, mm-hmm. from like the, the mid to late nineties. Um, yeah. I mean, it was just, it was a crazy time and it was also like, you know, you had to know what to ask for, but the thing was like, no one else was asking for it. So you didn't have to worry about like getting scooped on half this stuff because no one else was doing it. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, it's like someone like me who's a fan. I see, I see the magazine and I'm like, you know what? I like those sneakers. I, I don't know who wore them. And, uh, you know, at a certain time, you, you, you try to figure out who's sneaker you know they belong to and now when you see it on the court nowadays in, in high definition because back in the day like you said you know even like league pass they, they, they gave us league pass without hd tv and i'm like holy shit i can't even see what, what you know what's going on here so now right, right, you're recognizing right. what everybody's wearing and it's, it's become a big cultural phenomenon and now you have players spending 50 grand on a pair of kicks and there's like 20 different variations of the Jordans. And now, Oh you know, dude. Yeah. <laughs> now go ahead. Go ahead. I, I, no, I went into a foot locker today and it's like, I, I don't even know how you do it. If you're like a kid trying to buy shoes now, like online or in a store, it's like, there are so many choices. It's just yeah. like, it just blows your mind. It's like, how do you pick? They literally have like, I want to say like 10 different Kyrie's alone, mm-hmm. you know? And that's just one signature guy. Like, all the Westbrooks and the Paul George and LeBron. And it's just like, yeah, if you're like everything now is catered to like the people who buy like tons of shoes. Like if you're like, if you're living like, you know, I did, or I, most of us did, I think growing up where it's like, you get one pair of shoes, like for the school year or whatever. Yep. How do you pick one? I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to do it back then. At least it was a lot easier. You had to pick between like 10, 15 pairs. Maybe. Yeah. It's crazy, man. I, you know, a, a lot of these kids in the schools and, you know, you got to wear one pair of kicks and, and then you, you kind of, you know, edge them out and you're like, man, I, I need a new pair. Where can I get them? And I want those, but it's just a big phenomenon, man. Also in the magazine, you guys created, uh, two things, before his time called trash talk and noise and trash talk <laughs> for those who don't know we're kind of going way back here but um it's where the readers can kind of contact the editors about whatever's going on with the magazine or put this guy in or, you know write about this and noise was really what twitter is now your hot takes and all yeah. your, your your opinions so you guys you know began this way back um it's a lot different now but kind of like how why did you guys include that to kind of, you know, get the fans perspective on certain things? Yeah. I mean, I think it was that, I mean, we definitely wanted to include letters. I mean, the readers were always super important. Um, and we would get like tons of letters. So, you know, it was always interesting to see what people thought. I mean, there were some that were like, I can't tell you like how many letters we got about like Shaq. Whenever we put Shaq on a cover, it's like, man, all he can do is dunk. And it was just like, uh, if you could dunk every time you got the ball down low, that's all you would do too. Right. So I don't know why you have problems with that. Um, but I mean, there were good letters too, obviously. And people sent drawings and people sent everything else. So like, you know, it was great to see people passionate about everything. Um, and noise, like, 
that started obviously in the beginning, like that was, that predated me, you know, but once I got there, that was like my favorite thing to do. Like there were issues when I would write like pretty much all of it. And like, you know, that, that was certainly the best practice for me for like Twitter or whatever. Um, but also like, I always loved like with other magazines growing up as a kid or whatever, it's like, I always like when there were these little things that you would have to actually look for and find, like, you know, I, I, I didn't want a magazine where it's just like, a bunch of big stories and that's it. You know, it's like, it's nice having those little, those little shots. Um, and I think I want to say noise and like the editor's letter were probably like literally the last things that ever got written. So like, you know, noise is where you could really like say something relating to something sort of current, you know, obviously it would still be weeks late by the time it ran, but, um, you know, that'd be a way to sneak in, whatever it was, whether it was disses or praise or both, um, aimed at different people. Um, yeah, that, that, that was always fun. That was always fun. That, that was always like my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. And um, if I read back all of it, like I'm sure there'd be some I'd look at and be like, Oh, I can't believe I said that. <laughs> but I'm sure there would be other ones where I'd be like, damn, I actually came up with that. That's really good. So I don't know. It would probably balance out. Do you happen to own every single slam cover, um, slam magazine? you know what? I don't even know. Like, um, my apartment's not that big. So like they're all in storage. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I'm sure I have most of them. I don't know. I, I don't know if I have every cover. Um, and I stopped at one point. I mean, they still get sent to my parents' house or whatever, but, um, you know, I, I, I tend not to like read new ones necessarily. I'm like overwhelmed by stuff I read on the internet at this point anyway. So, um, you know, I haven't, I definitely haven't kept up as far as like trying to keep like every single issue ever. Um, but I'm sure I have everyone like I wrote in or I worked on. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a few more random um, questions for you before I let you go. Um, Bet. I want to say, I want to ask you this. Um, you know, nowadays, for those who are in publication or newspapers or magazines, you're starting to see some of them kind of be defunct. Um, just going straight to online or just saying we're not doing this no more. Like the Voice magazine, uh, Voice paper downtown, they said we're not doing that no more. Someone's going straight to online. Are you afraid or worried that Slam Magazine might come to a point where they say, you know what, we're, we're just going to do online and not really do the magazine no more? Yeah, I mean, I worry about a little bit. You know, like, unfortunately, it's, it is just the way of the world. I mean, Complex switched from you know, the, the, the print magazine went away while I was there mm-hmm. and, you know, complex like slam started as just, uh, just a magazine, you know, the, the web was kind of like, well, you know, we should do this, but you know, who knows what it'll be. And, you know, credit complex for early on figuring out like, this is going to be like kind of the primary thing. So by the time the print went away, um, you know, I, I they were so established on the web that, you know, it didn't really hurt as much. Um, but slam, I don't know, slam I've always felt is different. Like, I, I feel like the print side is so important to that magazine, whether it's the posters or whether it's the it's the covers. You know, I, I think they're important to players. But, right. you know, I think it's still cool. And, and maybe I'm like showing my age with this. But to have something that you can like rip a page out of and hang it on your wall. You know, it's like, sure, I guess you could print it off. But it's it's not quite the same, you know. I always thought the the images 
we're as big a part of slam as the words ever were, you know, um, you know, maybe as an editor, I shouldn't say that, but like, (laughs) you know, for me, like, and now it's all digitized. So you just go on the computer on Getty images and pick stuff out. But back, back when I was at slam, I mean, we would go to Secaucus, we would go to NBA entertainment, go to their photo office, which was like a windowless room in the middle of the building and like literally dig through like file cabinets full of prints or slide sheets and like take them over to a light table with a loop and like, you know, look through them and pick the photos for the next issue. Um, you know, and I was like, I mean, I was literally a kid in the candy store for that stuff. Like I'd be pulling folders of people. We had no intention of running anything on just to look through it. You know, like I can't tell you how many times I probably went back and looked through like the Dr. J file or the entire Jordan file, you know, pulling out like these like black and white images from like the 85 dunk contest or, you know, whatever, all these random things that like you wouldn't even know existed. And like, you had to literally go to this place in the middle of nowhere, New Jersey to find it. And back then we were like taking like car services out there. Cause we were like, again, like living, living very large off our budget. But, uh, you know, that, that stuff was always super important. And, and the photos we picked for, for different things, um, almost as much as the ones we shot. So now I'm going to run down, um, to me, a bunch of magazine covers that, uh, for me, and, and I think the general consensus, it would feel like these are the most highlighted, uh, memorable covers. I know you mentioned a few, so I'm, I'm trying to find a, a pair of different ones. So when I mention these, you can kind of tell me, you know, real quick, the first thing that goes through your mind with that cover, and if you had uh, any part to do with that issue, all right? Yeah, sure. All right, so let me see. You mentioned LJ, the Spree, Hardaway, MJ. Um Magic Johnson's return to the NBA, May 1996. Mm, yeah, I mean, I would have been there. I mean, that was just something we had to do. I mean, mm. Magic coming back was obviously such a big deal at that point. Right. And, like, he wasn't he wasn't the player he was, obviously, in, in any way, shape, or form. I mean, he was basically a power forward at that point. Um, you know, but that, that was just such a big moment. Like, it, it had to be it had to be celebrated and it had to be celebrated in that way. Um, if I remember correctly, he wasn't the only cover that month. I think it was like a split with someone else, but, mm-hmm. um, and it was probably something that got announced like close to our publishing time. But, um, yeah, I mean, magic obviously way predated us as far as like slam went, but you know, as, as the preeminent basketball magazine, as we were trying to make ourselves like, how could you not put magic on the cover? Right. Um, ready or not, the 1996 draft class, February 1997. Man, so I wasn't there for that. Tony oh, Gervino, the editor damn. at the time, was there for the shoot. Um, you will note the, the, the one notable missing guy on that cover is Alan Iverson, who I believe left rookie orientation before we shot the cover. <laughs> Um, which was something we would get used to over the years. Uh, I know Kobe, I think, has like a hand behind his back because um, he had a broken wrist. So he had a cast on the arm you can't see. Um, so we had to keep that away. And I, th- from, from what I recall from Tony, like, you know, it was a case where um, we figured out like who would be on the main part of the cover who would be on the fold out and who we wouldn't include. 
And apparently, if I remember correctly, like Todd Fuller, who was drafted in the first round, I believe by the Warriors, like kind of wandered over and was like, hey, what's going on? And Tony had to be like, yeah, you stay over there. Like we, <laughs> we knew, like, I mean, he was drafted ahead of some of those dudes, but like, right. yeah, he, he was not going to be part of it. So, um, yeah, it was a matter of trying to get the right guys on and keep the wrong guys off. The real top 50, um, September 1997. We know that uh, they made the um, all-time NBA 50 greatest list uh, for that all-star earlier that year. So you guys came out with the real top 50. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there were definitely a lot of discussions about it. I think, like, you know, I want to say, like, 90% of the people, were players were the same. Um, I'm trying to remember, like, who the significant omissions were. I think I don't remember... If, I feel like they didn't include like Bernard King and Dominique Wilkins, who I think were two of the two of the biggest um, snubs. Yeah, that we saw as far as historic ones. And then you know maybe we we probably included a few more like current level guys than they did because I think they included like Shaq, who was probably the youngest guy yeah, on it. They did. Um, so. You know, we we being the the younger crowd probably put less impact maybe on guys who were before our time. You know, guys who played in the fifties and sixties. Right. Not all of them. I mean, obviously, like we kept we kept most. Um, and I think we actually tried to rank them, which I mean, I've learned through decades of experience is a terrible idea in almost anything, especially when it's subjective. I mean, I I don't know still at this point, how you're supposed to compare like Michael Jordan to Will Chamberlain. But, you know, for anyone who feels like they can do it, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if I would do that again. But, you know, it was definitely fun. I mean, the conversations were fun. And if we did that now, mm. you know, I'm sure we would like somehow find a way to like film the conversations about it and include those too. Like, you know, back then it's like you would put all this work into something and literally like use like five percent of it you know now you figure out how to use every last bit of it so the showbiz kg october 1997 mm, yeah i mean i love that one i still i think i have like i think i have it i think i have one of those shooting shirts somewhere um that they apparently cut the sleeves off of um and what kg's like wearing like the backwards visor like yeah I think Steph is like spinning a basketball on the inside. Like that, that was definitely one of the better shoots. And, you know, one of those where it's like, um, it really, really, really let their personality shine through, you know? And that, that was obviously the beginning of the, the road for us as far as like Marbury and Garnett on an NBA level, um, sort of graduating, if you will, to the cover. Kobe's first cover, March, 1998. Yeah, that was the one that that was on black, right? It's like a black background. Yeah, yeah. I think, and uh, Cheo Hadari Coker wrote the story. Um, he's like doing big TV things now in Hollywood, but uh, maybe not in Hollywood. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. He did Luke Cage and some other things, but uh, I remember like Tony was away when that story came in, and I actually ended up being the one who edited that piece with Cheo, like on the phone, like line by line. Um, Cause I, I think like most writers tend to do, he wrote it way longer than it needed to be. So um, that was definitely one of my first experiences, like 
editing a, a real like actual feature cover story down um i mean as far as the image it's great i mean i think that's a dope photo mm-hmm. um i don't even remember offhand who shot it but um you know the first time i met kobe he was still in high school and he seemed more mature than i was so <laughs> um oh, we got here. jordan god only knows uh, uh, august 1998 yeah, I mean, that was one of those other ones. You know, like I said, like Jordan, we only had so much time to shoot with him every time. But, you know, every time we had a chance to shoot him, it was definitely a blessing. Um, yeah, that, that I guess I think that was in reference to his impending maybe retirement. You know, I think that's when that whole like last dance thing was going around. So, yeah. you know, you didn't know um, if I remember correctly, the cover after that was also Jordan. Um, yeah, six forever. Was, yeah, yeah, because that was when they won the title. So the one was previous to it. Um, we always ran a shot of the. We always did a championship cover. Um, I believe the '97 finals one was actually Pippen, because like we didn't want to get too carried away doing Jordan all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think at that point we knew he was probably going to retire. So it's like, all right, if anyone's going to get back to back slam covers, it's got to be Mike. Exactly. Um, Shamik Holsclaw, um, October nineteen ninety eight with the uh, the famous Marcus Camby jersey. <laughs> yeah, we we were so excited to do that. I mean, it, it actually was like a Holsclaw Knicks jersey, like it's got yeah. her name on the back. Um, I forget who has that now. Susan Price might have it. She's like still at Slam. She's the managing editor. Um, but apparently, I, again, I wasn't at that shoot, but I, I think past Summit. Um, wasn't super thrilled with that idea of like her in a, a pro team jersey when she was playing in Tennessee. Right. Um, but that was just another case, you know, of like, you know, oh, fine, you know, she's going to be like the next WNBA star or whatever. But like, let's let's take it a step further. Like, let's say the NBA. Let's go all the way, you know. And Shamiko being from Queens and going to Christ the King, like, let's put her in a Knicks jersey, you know. And I think it was just a really cool, like, striking image. Um, one that really struck out to me because I was a big fan of his back in the day was um, September '99. Latrell Sprewell saved the NBA. Yeah, well, that was another. Yeah, that was another crazy one because I think that was like right after he came back, um, and after the suspension and everything. Mm-hmm. I know that's like a super close shot on his head. Like I don't think you could see a jersey or anything. Um, but you know, Spree Spree was a slam guy. You know, like Spree was definitely someone who um, who fit in what we were doing, certainly stylistically, like not that we're saying attack your coach with a two by four. But like, you know, he he was that dude. I mean, he came in New York, obviously, and tore things up. Um, you know, I remember when I talked to Iverson for the cover story, like I asked him or I didn't even ask him. I went back and read that the other day and like realized he just said it out of nowhere, like. He said if he could be any other NBA player, he would be Sprewell. And it's like, dog, like, you know, this is obviously like there's so many players you can pick. And this is after the incident in Golden State, you know, and that but that was just Iverson, man. I mean, Iverson just like kept it as real as possible. Um, and Spree was one of those dudes, too. I mean, there, there was a period when he was just the guy. And M1 obviously like played it off to the hilt. You know, they did that American Dream commercial. Mm. And I think this was like sort of an extension of that. 
Um, I mean, yeah, you did mention Iverson, and I, and I glossed over the the soul on ice with the chains and the afro. I think I've been just from reading, from following you on Twitter, and reading your background and getting history. I, to me, I could be wrong, but I think, and I think you said it. I think that might be your favorite cover or favorite uh, hands-on with, with the magazine with, um, with Iverson. Am I wrong on that? No, it's it's way up there. You know, it's like it's hard for me to pick just one. Um, I'm also a big fan of the Shaq and Kobe cover. Okay. First of all, in hindsight, getting Shaq and Kobe to agree to do anything is amazing. <laughs> but, you know, I remember like the one directive I had on that was like, get one of them pointing at his ring finger because they hadn't won anything yet. Ah. And they obviously were like on the pathway. And, you know, obviously that was the big goal. And when we got that back and that frame with Shaq with that huge grin on his face pointing at his big ass finger, it was like, all right, this is it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, not that I'm not saying we predicted the future or anything because they obviously like killed everyone that year in the playoffs, except for losing to the Sixers once. But, um, you know, you knew that was where it was heading. And mm-hmm. if they didn't win that year, they were probably going to win soon. But, you know, thank God we got we got that one right. Right. Uh, C. Webb, White Chocolate, Double Platinum, March 2000. Yeah, that was the same one. I mean, that was the thing I talk about where, like, you know, it was initially going to be uh, – them on the west coast and steph and, and van and, horn. Uh, okay. All right. and van horn on the east and it just like happened that you know they were the ones who started the season right mm-hmm. um and they're and they're the same thing you know they were both they were both very very slam guys you're like you know c-web before the injuries was just like and you know dating back to the uh the michigan days was obviously right there and Mm -hmm. and jay will i mean jay will from the jump was doing things like we never saw before you know whether it was the the elbow pass or like um you know just the moves he put on dudes like back when him and like steve francis and like there was just that huge like you know street ball element almost to Mm -hmm. point guards like you know that was that was just something we had to celebrate uh lebron's first cover ready to rule august 2003 Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, right before he jumped into the NBA, you know, and put him in that Jordan all-star cover, all-star jersey. Um, you know, I always say about LeBron, and, like, I mean, obviously, I'm not the only one saying it, but, like, he had probably the greatest, or the biggest expectations put on him of anyone to come into the NBA, and he exceeded them. I mean, he didn't just meet expectations. Like, you know, it, it's, it's, it's insane, considering what he's been able to do Mm -hmm. you know with all the focus that's been on him and like you know kind of him coming in to the nba that's already um you know being covered on the internet and everywhere else and like this huge media presence and him being this hugely popular guy like even before he got out of high school you know for him to be able to kind of be able to get past all that and still play at the level he has for as long as he has, you know, man, I mean, it's, it's been, it's just been incredible to watch. Mm. I got three more covers and then I got one more question. Then we wrap it up. Um, I, I, I've always liked this one. I don't know if it's a color or whatever, but the Gilbert arenas zero to hero, November 06. It just, I don't know. I like the, the light blue background, whatever it is, but talk about that one. That's the one with the jersey off, right? Correct. I mean that that you know that was one of those things, and it's like I think KD did it too, where it's like, you know, a dude with like literally no tattoos on their arms, and then this crazy stuff everywhere else. Um, 
you know, I think seeing Gil with the shirt off and that tiger tattoo, the giant tiger tattoo is just, mm-hmm. I, it's just such a crazy image. And it's just so Gilbert, you know? And like, I think people forget now, you know, cause his, his rise was so fast and his fall was so fast. Like he, he, but you know, when Gilbert was dominant, I mean, good God, I, I don't even know who you compare him to, mm-hmm. you know, Dame maybe, or someone like that, where it's like, you know, certainly late in the game, you had no idea how deep he was going to shoot it from. You just knew he was going to hit it, you know, and he, he'd he be the guy taking shots and there was nothing anyone could do about it. You know, him dropping whatever, 61 on Kobe. It's just, he just did absurd things and you just kind of accepted it. And he was also way ahead of the frame on, on sneaker stuff. I mean, he had Adidas do like, Literally, he was going to wear, like, a different pair of his signature shoe every game. And they made, like, you know, a zillion different ones. And I think he got hurt that year. So, you know, he ended up not wearing hardly any of them. And they put out all these shoes. And it's like, all right, how do we, like, market this stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if he doesn't get hurt, maybe this whole sneaker thing takes off even faster than it did. Right. Um, you know, Gilbert, Gilbert was just like a trendsetter in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Um, Kevin Durant, uh, Greg Oden, Judgment Day, August 2007. I mean, again, like, you know, look at it now and it's like, man, why would anyone pick Kevin Dur- or pick Greg <laughs> Oden over Kevin Durant? But, uh-huh. you know, back then, obviously, that was a huge question. You know, no one that was being debated right up to the end. So, um you know, I, I, I think that, you know, tying them together from the start was something that had to be done. It's just unfortunate that Odin's career didn't quite pan out. Mm. Um, and to me, I think I, I really wish I was in the office for one day when, when LeBron says he's going to Miami. I'm pretty sure that you guys were like, holy shit, what are we going to do? For the cover, are, are we gonna get LeBron, Wade, and Bosch? Are we gonna just have LeBron? Like uh, he was on it in November of, of twenty ten. So getting getting LeBron in that Miami Heat jersey uh, had to be a, a real adventure for you guys. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I wasn't there then. I, I remember like watching the decision, um, and I didn't know, you know, what was gonna happen. But you know, I just remember back from from earlier guys who had made changes like that, you know, like Shaq going to Miami or whatever, like that was always a moment you had to get. And, you know, I feel like LeBron being like kind of the slam guy of this generation, you know, I think it was probably even bigger to do, to do him by himself than to do, uh, you know, all the guys together. And I, I, and obviously Miami had done like the big three thing with introducing them. So like, Mm -hmm. you know, to separate into one guy is probably more powerful. Right. Um, and Russ, the final question I have for you, uh, it's kind of two part. It basically, you know, the legacy of slam magazine. And if if there's a, a line or something, you could say that if I ask you without slam magazine and you kind of fill in the blank, Wait, oh wait, give me one more time. No, I'm, I'm asking you the legacy of Slam Magazine. Yeah. And the final question would be, without Slam Magazine, and then you kind of fill in the blank. Mm. Well, I mean, the legacy 
is still being written. You know, it's like, I, I like to think that, you know, it's still going. I, I know like, you know, a lot of that late nineties, early two thousand stuff was so big, but mm-hmm. you know, it's like, we're still out there or they're still out there figuring out who the next guy is and who the next guy is. And like, you know, celebrating someone like LeBron who was there from the beginning and we were there from the beginning for, but you know, always keeping an eye on who's coming up, you know, like true. When's Zion going to get the cover? Like who's, who's going to be on the, you know, what NBA team is he going to be on? Um, You know, and all these new guys. And like, I think it's good that, you know, slam has reached a point where it's like, we've gotten past those super early young days where we had to explain ourselves and everything. And now it's like, there's much more, you know, knowledge of what we are and acceptance of who we are. And, um, you know, now everyone knows, you know, Slam is established. It's other maybe media companies who are more of the the uh, the young upcomers who have to deal with whatever. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I like to think we've established ourselves and, you know, it's always going to be around. Hey, Russ, man, I need we we need Zion on the slam cover in a New York Nick uniform. <laughs> Anything other than that, I, I will be so disappointed, my brother. Just you just can't do that ahead of time because then it would jinx it. So, um, you know, I'm with you. I, I think like as long as you get even like one of the top three picks, I think you're going to get somebody. Man. But uh, and I, I don't know what's going to happen with this free agency stuff. Uh-huh. I, I don't I don't know what to believe quite yet. I think there's too much going around. You, you know, you talk about that where it's like there's so much now and like people got to fill people got to fill their their homepage or whatever every day mm-hmm. or their Twitter feed. So like. There ends up being so much different stuff being talked about. So um, I don't know. We'll see what happens. You got the cap room. You're going to have a lot of ping pong balls. Like exactly. Something good's got to happen, right? Yeah. We need, we need Durant. We need Kyrie. We need Zion. And we're, we're good to go, <laughs> Not man. Not too much to ask. <laughs> um, <laughs> good luck with that. Russ Bankson, former editor-in-chief of Slam Magazine. Always a pleasure talking basketball with you. Uh, I greatly appreciate it, man. Anytime. Anytime. Uh, All right, man. All right, have man. a take, good one. Take it easy. Peace. All right.